Uh, hi there, and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of Star Trek in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And today we are talking about Repentance, which is the uh, 13th episode of the seventh season of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, it was uh, the teleplay, or yeah, it was it was written by Robert Doherty and Michael Sussman, and it was directed by Mike Vehar, I think is how you say his last, na- uh, last name. I'm not sure, though. The uh, Memory Alpha description for this episode is, After Voyager rescues the crew of a severely damaged alien vessel carrying convicts to their executions, the crew begins to question the alien's legal system. So, look, looking behind the scenes uh, briefly, I, I should say that we were supposed to do this episode like a couple of... Uh, well, no, it'll be the same in the episode order, but we were supposed to record it a couple weeks before we were actually recording it. And the reason why is because I accidentally watched the wrong episode, and then we talked about it for probably three minutes. Before yeah, longer, longer than you would have thought we would have been able to make it before <laughs> realizing that thing. <laughs> yep, and then I will say now, having watched the correct episode, that the... Memory Alpha synopsis makes a lot more sense to me. Makes more sense. Uh, when, it, you're, when you're writing it about, when it's written about the episode that it actually is of. Um, so yeah, I just watched the the one after this uh, on on accident. So anyway, we'll eventually watch that one and I'll, I'll, I'll see it again. Yeah, so. I'll have to point it out at the time if we remember. Right, yeah. So yeah, this this episode, what was the last time we, do, we did like, we've done like a, a really explicit message episode uh, of Star Trek, what would you say? Um, I'm looking it up now. I'm looking up our. I'm trying to remember which. Because this is like I. This is the most messagey one that I've watched for the show anyway in a long time. I've seen a couple on DS9 Probably, in my yeah. in my free time that have been extremely messagey. Like, as caretaker, that's got like a little bit of like a religion discussion, but I wouldn't say it's like really really explicit. Other than that, though, it's been a minute. Yeah, I think it really uh, has. I, this honestly might be the most explicit. Yeah, I'm kind of quickly... I feel like some of the other... I'm kind of clicking through. Some of the other Voyager ones, I feel like maybe... Like, there was the one that was all about uh, PTSD, um, where, like, Seven of Nine's, like, alone on the ship for a long time. Even that one, though, I think is a little bit more metaphorical. Like, this, this to me is like a let-that-be-your-last-battlefield like level of just like yeah it's just like these guys are black people and these guys are the prison system yeah and, and let's you know, like let all um, the characters on the show I, like give us their opinions on yeah the prison system and capital punishment and all these things mm-hmm. i honestly i'm looking back at i think we might actually have to go back to like episode two of our show invasive procedures the one where the 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 male trill tries oh, to yeah. steal the symbiote um from jedzia that and even that is, I think, less blatant than this is. The Omega Glory was a pretty... I mean, the the message being Go America, I guess. But, oh, and there was the... um, What was it called? Uh, Arsenal of Freedom, which is the... Oh, yeah, yeah. The next generation, like, early next generation one where they... The, yeah. the arms race, the Reagan era, like, yeah. military stuff. And our yeah. own creation destroys uh, what destroyed us. And Yeah. That, all, all that said, though, I still think this is probably... Uh, it, it probably still is, though, the, yeah. Like, the most... I guess heavy-handed, not necessarily in a bad way, but I would say that it is a heavy-handed, you know, social issues. It, it, it felt like a very yeah. special episode of Star Trek in a way, which is, I think, quite a quite a feat to achieve on a show that like is supposed to be yeah. nothing but very special episodes. Uh, right. By the way, I will say too, I I I rewatched Invasive Procedures uh, like this week 
just with with Kim. Oh, as you for, were going through, as we're going through Deep Space Nine. That episode is good. That's a good episode. I like. I forgot. I forgot how good like uh, John Glover, the guest star, is in it. Um, so. Yeah. Anyway, just uh, going back to that episode we recorded like a year ago. That episode, the the episode that we recorded it about, is quite good. So, so yeah, we've been kind of dancing around it, but why don't you take us into this episode that is all about the prison system in America specifically? Yeah. Yeah. So it starts. It really actually, I feel, starts very non-typically for Star Trek. Um, you mean like with like they, the handheld kinda, camera shot at the beginning? Yeah, they just sort of jump right into like people are shouting and running around and the ship is shaking and they'd beam everybody aboard and then those people beam aboard and start yelling at them. And it's very, I feel like you, you very much think of Star Trek openings as like orchestral music plays and the ship kind of flies up and you hear, you know, captain's log and they explain where they are and why they're there. Um, I, w- I will say they make up for that at the end of the episode, because at the, the end of the episode, there's like three different exterior shots of Voyager when I was like, oh, it's the end of the episode. Oh, oh, nope. They got another episode. They got another scene now. Uh, so they, they, they backloaded right. all of that. Must be. But yeah, but they kind of jump right into basically there's a, a ship, you know, the Voyagers come across the ship that's about to blow up. And so they beam everybody from the ship onto, onto Voyager. And it turns out that essentially half the people on the ship are prisoners are that are all on their way to be executed. It seems like most of them for murder. I think all of them for murder, I think. Is, 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 are they yeah. all for murder? Yeah. Um, and then the other half of the people on the ship are essentially like the prison guards. Like there's the main one who's the the prison warden. He looks like um, he looks guards. like Keeper Sutherland. Yes. A, a lot of the... I, I don't know why, but a lot of the uh, sort of the three main uh, guest stars on this, him and then the two the two prisoners that kind of they mostly interact with, all looked really familiar to me. And I tried like looking them all up, and don't think I've seen any of them in anything before. But that, yeah, that's that's interesting because I felt that way too. I, I thought, did you did you did you like pull Keith or, Keith or Sutherland for the the guard? I think I don't know if yeah I think th- th- it makes a lot of sense I don't know if I could have put my finger on on it. No, um, the um, I thought that the the inmate who you think is good and then ends up being bad I I felt like he looked like a lot like the actor who plays Chakotay actually um, yeah uh, who whose name I can't remember now uh, the, the the guy who plays Chakotay is named Robert Beltran and then the where is the other guy what's what's the, what's the other guy's name yeah so yeah this, so we're talking about yeah so there's there's basically three main characters so, who, like, three main guest cars there's Iko which is or so there's Yedek who is the prison guard who looks like Keith or Zellin who's not there's Iko which is this very aggressive kind of evil seeming um, yeah uh, and he looked like who, who I will oh, go, who, who do you think he looked like <laughs> him him I think I think mostly I got um, oh why can I not think of his name uh, the guy f- Jeff Bridges no the guy, he was the guy from Cheers that's now on like he started being in a bunch of stuff again. Uh, like oh, Ted Danson. Zombieland, or now, now you see me. Oh, oh, uh, not to dance in the other. Um, maybe oh, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Either. Well, I don't know. They're looking at me. Maybe Ted Danson more. I, I thought more Woody Harrelson, but I could see Ted Danson though too. Actually, with him. So the the um, the other guy, the, the the there's like a prisoner who you think is nice to the beginning. His name is Joe Leg, and he's yeah. played by F. J. Rio. But I, I kind of felt like he looked a little bit like Chakotay, but yeah, I don't, I don't think yeah, they're the same like race even. But I just for some reason I, I knew it wasn't him, but it just was. Yeah, 
Him, I got kind of like a Jimmy Smith's vibe, I feel. Oh, sure. That makes sense. So I'll say, too, with, with Ico, since we're already talking about this, I recognized that guy immediately, which I was... And I, I, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know who that is, even though his face is, like, covered with stuff. And I looked him up, and it was the person who I was thinking of. But then I was looking through IMDb, and I was like, I don't understand how I know who this person is. But I immediately knew who it was. Like, I was like, oh, it's that guy. I recognize his face from when he doesn't have stuff on. And then I went through his, and then I went through his IMDb, and I was like... I guess I, I know I've seen but you that episode. Where you of, would have ever seen it before, right? I was like, I know I've seen that episode of New Girl that he's on, and I actually do remember his character. He's a very memorable character in, in that, and in this, I think he does a good. I think he's he's yeah. doing a good job. I think he's sometimes a little failed by the dialogue, but it he does. A, I think he's he's acting his heart out um, in this. Yeah, and then is I he one of those guys that just like is on an episode of pretty much every. TV drama. Yeah, he's in a ton of stuff, and I could, but I, yeah. but I, I, I think he's he's mostly known for being in Sons of Anarchy and The Walking Dead these days, but which are two shows that I have not watched. Hard, I, I've never seen anything of Sons of Anarchy. I think I've seen like the first like three episodes of Walking Dead or something. So maybe he's in the first three episodes of Walking Dead. But I, I, but I knew who he was immediately hmm. though, um, which I thought was like strange because like whereas we, <laughs> Kim and I just finished watching a, a three episode arc, uh, a three episode, a three part episode of. Um, Deep Space Nine, and like the main guest star plays. If you, if for those of you who have watched Twin Peaks, he plays he plays Ben Horn on Twin Peaks, who is like a pretty main character. This like this guy, it's Richard Bamer. He also is like a, just a famous actor. Anyway, he was in like West Side Story and stuff. And Kim and I did not fi- could not figure like like did not recognize him. I guess just because he had some Bajoran like the things on his nose. And, and then and then as soon as we were like, oh, that's Richard Bamer, and we we're like, oh. Uh, duh. Uh, so I, I don't know how it was that I managed to immediately be like, oh, it's that guy. It's um, what's his actual name? Uh, it's Jeff. Jeff Kober is who it is. Um, so I, I again, don't really understand how that worked. He's an Enterprise later, too. I believe he's in an Enterprise episode. Well, as, uh, like most of these guest stars are, they just kind of show up on multiple. Yeah, times. play various aliens. Anyway, though, so we can we can continue <laughs> going. But I, uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that like the, the three guys like all were like tri- tripping your like who is this censors too? Cause I did definitely was feeling that throughout the episode. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly know why it was, but, um, but yeah. And so oh, and they, since, we, since we are crediting everybody, yeah, sorry. Um, Yedek is played by Tim Dizarn. So, yes. So they, they take these people aboard Voyager. Um, they put all the prisoners in, you know, in these security force fields and, and then they have to, they kind of, have these conversations among themselves and have to decide uh, whether they, you know, what what they do, because all these prisoners are be- on their way being taken to be executed, and the Federation doesn't believe in, you know, the death penalty or capital punishment, and so they kind of have to go back and forth between, you know, should is it right for us to take them to be executed, but also, you know, is, our, is it our place to interfere with or, um, you know, question this other race's form of justice or... Um, well, it's classic uh, Prime Directive stuff, right? It's, it's not, it's not yeah. even really so much as should we question it, because basically everybody is like, what they're doing is wrong, but then, like, we have to follow the directive. Yeah, although that, that kind of flagged for me of, is that really included in the Prime Directive? Because I feel like the Prime Directive is more not interfering with another race and like their development or kind of forcing your culture upon them but do you still have to kind of help them with carrying it out um if it's something that you've moved past like do you have to participate in it or just sort of not stop them well i I, this in this case i'm not sure how you could you'd have to either help them or or stop them based on like like, the situation because 
like what do you do with the prisoners? They get beamed onto the ship, and, and and so it's like, well, the only way to not help them would be to kidnap them, I guess. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like they either have to return the prisoners or not. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it, I w- I do think it was interesting though. I mean, obviously we talk about this all the time. How the prime directive kind of like exists when it's convenient to exist and not for the I, narrative. Yeah. I was thinking to myself. I don't think that this is would have been the outcome on TNG. Like I, I think I think like Picard, or especially like uh, for some reason I was just really thinking watching this like uh, Beverly would hate th- like Beverly would be like I'm not gonna go along yeah. with this. I'm not gonna you know we, we can't let them kill these people. It, it, it you know funnily enough I think Voyager is all all the shows do this, but I I feel like Voyager is like one of the one of like the most egregious offenders when it comes. Sometimes we care about the Prime Directive and sometimes <laughs> right. we're sometimes we're like look we have a technology that creates water would you like some and we'll brag about the technology you know yeah (laughs) we'll like trade it to you for what we want yeah because you know i said before i watched the wrong the wrong episode the episode right after this is they they kind of they are they they see some klingons who have who have like made this way over generations on the ship through the gamma the gamma quadrant and they for reasons that we'll get into at some later point they they believe that Bilana Torres's baby is the Klingon Messiah and and basically to get them off the ship slash keep them from descending into chaos Janeway kind of encourages Bellana to lie about her baby to basically con- continue to convince these Klingons that she is the correct subject of their religion which it seems I mean not uh, granted like yeah. that's not prime directive in that they are uh they are Klingons but it still seems wrong to do it just seems like something that they should not be doing you know like if for for similar reasons to the prime directives uh, logic you know yeah but anyway uh just but yeah i did think of myself when i was when i was watching i was like yeah i don't I, I feel like there are some there are some crews there are some of these some of the ships that we follow uh, in these shows where this would not be what would happen they, they would they would kind of decide to, to yeah you know. and you could i guess make the argument that it's it's because of the different sort of setting that Voyager is in, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, next generation, you can imagine they would just take the prisoners to like another planet where they can be kept in like life in prison. You know, they have the resources to do something else, whereas yeah, Voyager's kind of just passing through this like foreign part of space. And But but for anyway, so they, you get kind of all of the, the members of the crew weighing in on their opinion on is, you know, there's a, a it's pretty brief, but a, kind of a discussion between seven of nine and the doctor where they they hit all the high points of of the argument um of capital punishment i know we're already like 20 minutes in but i should go back i just want to go back to say do we talk about how they beam them on the ship and most of them are in the same place but then two of them are in the med bay holding seven hostage because that's like a key yeah i guess that yeah so so yeah they there's i think a guard and then um and then Iko. Um, Iko is sort of randomly in the medway. You know, for whatever yeah, for whatever reason, everyone gets board, beamed aboard the ship, and they all just are like scattered throughout the ship. It seems like like most of them come to the transporter room, but there. I guess if you have more than however many spots there are in the transporter room, people just sort of randomly appear on the ship. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, Iko's in the medbay, and she he's trying to hold seven of nine hostage. 
holding a scalpel to her neck, and then she she sort of beeps, be, beats him up, and he gets captured. Well, it's funny you say that he's holding a scalpel to her neck, because I did write down that he is holding her hostage with a tuning fork. <laughs> like, the thing, <laughs> the thing that... You can actually look. It's the image on Memory Alpha. Like, look at... Zoom in on that. Like, click on that image, and look at what he's holding. It looks like he's holding, like, some kind of... It does... Yeah, that is a tuning fork. It looks, yeah, it looks like a tuning fork. It is... <laughs> That's that's like one of my that's like one of my first notes. Uh, so no wonder no wonder she's not that scared. Does it doesn't look like that thing could cut her. That's fair. That's a, that's a funny little bit too. With um, because eventually they kind of diffuse this hostage situation because Seven like beats him up and then and then he tries to hold the doctor hostage and yeah and the doctor just kind of like rolls his eyes at him. Yeah, yeah the doctor it's like a big eye roll and then Tuvok just shoots shoots Iko through the doctor. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty funny. The Doctor, for those just joining us, the Doctor is a hologram man. Yes. So. And so then Seven of Nine and the Doctor... So there's there's really two main kind of points of of discussion of the whole approach to criminal justice that happened. And so one is the this going on between Seven of Nine and the Doctor and this guy, Ico. And it starts with Seven and the Doctor talking about, um, you know, should capital punishment be allowed? And the Doctor takes the very much, you know, we should never kill anybody and there's so many more humane ways to punish people and to keep others safe and seven of nine you know as the the ex-borg takes the but it's just so much more efficient to to execute them and then you don't have to expend the resources um you know for the state taking care of these people that are not contributing to society and you have that whole argument briefly i yeah, I, I think it's interesting that they, I mean, clearly everyone who's writing this episode and everyone like the staff, I would say, is, it seems pretty uh, against the death penalty uh, based on, based again, ba- based on like, you know, the way that the show is, is written, uh, which is, I, I thought it was interesting because this episode came out in 2001. I feel like that's like, obviously, that's still uh, obviously falling out of favor at that time, but like definitely a much more common position than I would say 19 years later being in favor of this. Yeah. Yeah, I think at the time there was probably more, you know, more debate on both sides of it. Yeah, and, and but I, I thought that was kind of damning in, in the sense that they, the person who they have, like the one, the person who they mostly have arguing in favor of the death penalty at the beginning is Seven, who you we later he later you find out she's still kind, of, she's like kind of thinking about, she's kind of having an issue with like some own like unprocessed guilt about being a Borg, but she the way she's talking about it is very like clinical and it's very. It's very Borg esque. It's very like logic based, and I think it, there's it's a kind of a, a not necessarily subtle, but like it's this interesting trick they pull where they're they're kind of like, well, we're going to frame the arguments for why this should be as like kind of an inhuman, not like an inhumane, but an like an actual like inhuman kind of like impersonal yeah log and it's interesting that, that, that it's like you have a woman who is part machine who's making that argument and she's arguing with a machine who has like human human traits i don't know it's just a, right. a weird little element but. yeah and so and then the other so meanwhile the other kind of uh interaction that's going on is neelix who is uh sort of bring brings food and gets develops this relationship with uh with the other main prisoner who his name I have already forgotten. Uh, um, uh, it's Joe. Joe Leg. Joe Leg or something like that. Joe Leg. Yeah. Um, and they get talking, and and basically what Joe Leg tells Neelix is that his race, the Benkarans, are sort of always 
stereotyped as being criminals and um i mean they're they're black people in the united states of space is like and and that's not me being dismissive that's that is definitely what they're supposed to be a hundred percent yeah that that he says you know i was at the scene of a crime and because i'm ben karen they everyone just assumed that i was the man i was the person who killed this man and i was taken to jail and they you know, Neelix does some research and finds out that it's overwhelmingly, you know, a higher percentage of prisoners are Benkaran and the death penalty is carried out a higher percentage of times for them. And, and yes, it's all based on actual statistics, like very closely mirrors actual statistics in the United States. Yeah. I, I should just say too, uh, this is a episode with almost no Tom Paris in it, but <laughs> it, it, the one moment that Tom Paris is in the episode, he is talking to Neelix about this, and Neelix says that Benkarans are like disproportionately incarcerated, and then uh, Tom Paris says maybe they just commit more crimes. So like they made him into like like the one yeah. thing he gets to say in the episode, they make him into like it a gets to be like racist tool. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tom Paris like has, has one scene, but still manages to be the worst because that scene opens with like him pounding on Neelix's window being like you know you're giving so much food to the prisoners right? is there any left for the rest of us and I, I really feel he's like I'm, just kind of a jerk yeah I, I really kind of feel like I'm really getting into the weeds in this episode uh, for some reason it's very vivid to me like all these different like little minor things I thought that was really that seemed really strange because he and Balana are pounding on this window and then it's this weird kind of like translucent like glass window that he has to pull open and it seems so much like lower tech than anything that anywhere else on the ship it just seemed very yeah. odd this like weird partition that is between like the kitchen and the mess hall uh, why does why is that there why don't they just have like I don't know like some kind of hologram thing or, or just like a you know an automatic partition or something Thing, but uh, yeah. Anyway, not not I don't think I've ever seen the kitchen on the show before, so maybe that was why it struck me. Interesting. Yeah, and so so those are kind of the two main interactions that are that are going on, and then the um, so then seven of nine and the doctor work on uh, keep working in sick bay to try to cure or to oh oh no 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 Iko sort of starts uh, you know starts insulting Yedik. Or threatening Yedik, the the warden, and Yedik sends his guards in, and they just uh, you know violently beat up Iko. In a plot point that is never followed up on, Iko for some reason knows the names of Yedik's children and threatens them, and then they just never talk about that again. <laughs> like how he yeah. knows that. <laughs> yeah, Yedik, and, and Yedik is is very much portrayed through this as like he's this hardened criminal, like unrepentant, Iko, kind of mean. almost. Iko, yeah, sorry. Iko, through all this, is uh, portrayed as he's this, you know, hardened criminal, almost like sociopathic, uh, like he just kills unrepentantly um, and like takes, like, I don't know if you could say he takes pleasure in it, but he just definitely doesn't feel at all bad about it. And yeah, he's, he's very, very, he didn't has like no empathy, basically. Yeah. Or as, or I guess actually, as, as you'll find out later, he literally has no conscience. Uh, right. Uh, because when they, they take him to sickbay to tend to all these injuries that he sustained when he got beat up by the guards. And uh, the doctor finds that there's this abnormality in his brain and has to essentially ask Seven to, to help him repair it because she can use her Borg nanoprobes to, um, to repair his brain. And when they do that, they essentially fix this, that there was this um, abnormality in his brain that he was born with like you said, gave him just no conscience. And as soon as they fix it, now he starts feeling this conscience and all this guilt 
for um, for all of the crimes he's ever committed. Mm-hmm. So, can I, actually, I was hoping if you if you would, wouldn't mind that we could uh, briefly have a Brady's medical corner. Right. Uh, uh, so. I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but ba- basically they, they kind of say that like there's a part of his brain where the kind of the neural pathways were not connected or they weren't properly connected. And they're kind of like, what part of the brain? And it's like, oh, the part of the brain where the conscience is. And obviously right. it's a, you know, maybe that's more of an obvious thing in this race, this alien race and as humans. But I wanted to ask you kind of how does... How does the brain work? Like, like how does, <laughs> have, you know, have we taught, have, have, have there been, do you know if there's been how that, how that discussion has gone in on earth when it comes to uh, brain function and, and this kind of thing? Like, you know, do we know where that kind of thing, you know, is, is stored? Is it even a misnomer to say that it's stored in a specific place? Like, and how do like the, you know, I guess I'm just curious, like, is, is that when there, when there are like brain functions that are wrong in like a human being is... Is that like kind of how it works, or is this all just gobbledygook, basically? Um, so I'm not sure. I don't know like the n- neurology very well. Mm-hmm. I know that there's so there's areas of the brain that handle, and I think it's it's kind of closely related to you know there's like the big part of the brain that mostly does like motor functions and sort of thought and consciousness and that, and then there's there's some areas kind of more in the middle that do stuff like memory, that do emotions, and I think and I may be just making all this up, but I th- my understanding is that kind of they a lot of what, like morality and ethics and that kind of stuff. There's pathways that develop down in in that and like the sort of the and I, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but the around like the thalamus and the hypothalamus mm-hmm. type of areas of the brain. There's there's various different like there's very localized portions through there that do that like a lot of those more kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But we don't we don't have like a part of the brain where it's like right here is where the conscience is. No, um, <laughs> and again, like I think that's where. Because because it's such a thing that's it's such a thing that's uh, like societally driven, right? Like yeah, you know, right and wrong is kind of more taught than innate. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, and, and unfortunately, it's not something I I know uh, as much about. I'm sorry. I need you to be my source for all medical answers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, d- uh, our dads, please email us if if yeah, we exactly yeah. Uh, got anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, or anybody else that, that yes, doesn't yes. know anything about the brain or the mind. This is again another, another episode where, where uh, that's not how science works. Uh, probably could have helped us out, but yeah, they actually are going to be on the show soon. I won't I won't say which episode just in case it ends up falling through, but I would say within the next few episodes we should have some that's yeah, not how science works guests on our show. So, anyways, and so because they've you know altered uh, this this portion of his brain, they try to make a case to Yedek and then eventually to the, the justice system on the planet of, can he, can his, can he be retried or can his case be reexamined knowing that he kind of didn't have full control over his faculties when he was committing these crimes. And this is, this is when they, they get into the sort of the main priority of the justice system on this world is the, is that they, they always rule in favor of the victim or that the victim actually gets to choose the like the verdict and the penalty or the sentence for for the crime mm-hmm. um or the the family of the victim like in, in cases of murder it's the family of the victim and and that that is kind of the basis of their of their legal system is that the you know instead of there being like a set code of things that it just is is up to 
the the victims of the crime. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, this is something I, I wanted to talk about a little bit because I, I guess I don't want to get myself in trouble. Um, I'm not like a pro capital punishment person, but I th- I think that I have maybe a little bit more uh, I guess sympathy to that point of view than I think a lot of you know other people like of my political persuasion maybe would. And part of that is probably due to my upbringing, you know, a, you know, as a kind of deprogramming some conservatism stuff, but also like, I think they talk about, they actually do make kind of a, they, they talk about this. I, I think, I think that I, I guess I'll say that I think Joe, Joe looks kind of like devil's advocate for the efficacy of doing this makes a lot more like sense than, than seven's, more kind of clinical, logical one, which is basically, uh, Neelix says, like, well, why why do the victims do this? Why don't the judges do it? Because it should be impartial or, or whatever. And he's like, well, the judge, the judge does not, the judge cannot like set a value on the thing that has been lost. And so like, essentially, yeah, like, he uses the example of, you know, if I, if you had this family heirloom, that is a gift your father gave to you that has all this meaning, and I destroyed that, you would lose you know, the loss to you would be more than however the monetary value of it was. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, kind of saying that, like, his, his kind of he kind of ends up saying it's like, if I did kill somebody, and he kind of, he implies that he was framed, uh, but he says, like, if, if I did kill somebody, the, the, the loss of that, like, is incalculable. And if, you know, it might be that, like, the... F- the family of that person is so distraught or so angry that like they they would seek solace in his death and that's kind of an ugly thing to confront but also like i i guess i i understand i understand it like i i understand like there there is a feeling like um, you pro- i i think most people if they would examine themselves like would admit to understanding like this idea of of that like there are people who sometimes you like really, really evil people where you're like, I wish they weren't alive, you know, like, like, or or even like, look, and I'm not, I don't want to like make, do like the Hitler defense, but it's like, you look back at like people and it's like, it almost, it seems unfair that like Hitler got to die the way he did, even though it was like a bad way to go. It's like, you wanted him to like stand for like all this terrible, terrible, awful stuff that he did and then be punished. And I I would say like, to me, it's like, it's like a thing of like, I do not oppose. I I I I don't agree with the death penalty. I think there's a lot of reasons to not agree with it. You know that they talk about in this episode, and I think are true and correct. Uh, I think one thing that they don't talk about in this episode that I think is actually one of the biggest reasons to oppose the death penalty is just also just the amount of wrong convictions, not even racially based ones. Well, that's certainly a big part of it, but like just like straight up just that did it wrong that, that are then later on exonerated by DNA or other, or other circumstances. It's like, you could very, very well be killing innocent people. And that does happen in the United States, not infrequently. So there's, there's lots, there's lots of reasons to be opposed to it, but I, but you know, all that being said, it's, it's like when I, if history was different and it turned out that Hitler was captured and then he was tried and executed, I wouldn't, feel bad about that you know what i mean like like right. i i'd I say the same thing about you know a lot of serial killers or other you know people like that where i i get it even though i don't i i don't you know i when i was younger and and you know again come from a kind of conservative background i was more in favor of it and i'm i'm not anymore i am i'm my my views have have changed over the years as I've you know gotten more educated and grown and uh, hopefully gained more empathy and stuff. But I, I do understand kind of like 
that emotional component to it. And I think it's a very powerful emotion, which is why, which is kind of why this, that debate kind of continues to happen. But uh, I don't know. I thought, I thought that like that scene was a kind of one of the more in a kind of a very, um, not, not, I'm trying to think of like the right word for it. Cause it, I wasn't hand fisted, but it was, it's a very like kind of blatant metaphor. And I thought this was like, a, that was, that scene was like a little bit more subtle than, yeah, yeah, that I think was the closest they got to, like, really, if you want to talk about, like, kind of fairly presenting both sides of an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I didn't cancel myself uh, <laughs> in this process. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, th- I think that they, it's it's the closest they got to really saying, like, you know, there there is kind of another, you know, there's another possible way to look at this that's not just a kind of a straw man, like what Tom Paris or sort of Seven of Nine at the beginning of the episode Mm-hmm. We're, we're delivering was just like well it's cheaper to kill him than to keep him alive or right yeah um, yep you know too in there is a lot of a lot of like aspects i think they probably it was harder for them to bring in because like you know theoretically you're not going to have as many you know overturned convictions based on dna as you might have anymore because presumably like the dna evidence uh that's been you know improved in the future right, you know in the future and it does also i think kind of relate to the the question that i sort of they touch on when they discuss the prime directive but if a culture has different you know that that's sort of what that culture has decided to place value or priority on and then you get into the question of like do we have the right to say that you know if our priority is more on keeping people alive or not punishing potentially killing innocent people and their culture's priority is on you know justice for the victims that does starfleet have the right to say that our way is right and theirs is wrong even if it seems that way to us i would say generally the show's answer to that question is yes though usually yes yeah (laughs) it it is interesting because like the the show is uh you know star trek takes place in like a very pluralistic society but because of the way that the show operates especially like the early shows but even like later shows like this one it is it they're also shows that are about like kind of objective truth in a way (laughs) that really like this is something that that even in the future like we'll still believe in this like principle you know yeah I, i guess the other main interesting thing that uh that this that they kind of demonstrate with this is that that at least kind of felt sort of hit home for me is is that and and this isn't really what the episode itself is about but it provides a good example of how it's easy to have like a sweeping opinion of things and that changes when you meet an individual and you see that with seven of nine that she's the one that starts the episode saying you know capital punishment is just you know more just and more efficient but then when she like actually you know meets Iko and is talking to him and learns about how he used to be a kid that looked up at the stars and named the constellations that then it's that you know it's it's that very much a, you, your opinion is different when you're talking about just kind of nameless faceless principles than when you're like looking at an actual human being and realize that they're a human being and then you have to say this person should die and i think that tends to be the case with a lot of sort of very dogmatic things is that it's easy to have that opinion in, about people but then when you like meet an actual one you're just like oh well this is you know this isn't the monster that i had created in my mind this is like an actual person yeah you, you know stop me if we've talked about this on the episode on the show before because i think we possibly have but i'm not i'm not certain the you know uh, the, you know i was raised in a very conservative environment and i know you were raised more conservatively as well. And for me, I think a big part of that was that I was raised in a very kind of rural 
homogenous mm-hmm. uh, world and grew up in like rural, rural Minnesota. And, and when I say I was raised, I'm not like, I'm not saying that like my parents like indoctrinated me, you know, or, or like all the time or anything like that. Like it, no, it, it was, it was like a, it was an environmental thing, you know, and, and certainly not everything that my parents believe is something that I believe anymore, but like, it was not, it wasn't just like they were just like telling me a bunch of lies or anything like that. It was just that they were conservative. And so like they, I kind of was exposed to like conservative media, but also like that was, you know, stuff that I was told in my church and in the school that I went to for like the first half of my schooling and you know, all these different things. And the, you know, people, people complain about like, I, I, a lot a lot of people like where I grew up and like just a lot of people in uh, small town America, not to, not to like make sweeping statements, but having, you know, talked to people and lived in a few of those different small towns in America, you know, doing journalism stuff. I, it, the, I think people complain a lot about like, you know, the, the media being liberal and, and, you know, not really representing their values and things like that. And, and my, you know, having been in journalism for like 10 years, even in the smaller, more homogenous communities, I think that one reason why you kind of tend to see like these perspectives. Now, I think that a lot, a lot of those accusations are totally overblown, but I also think that one of the reasons why you tend to see these perspectives and why journalists do tend to be a little more liberal that, than like a lot of the people who might be reading them is that you have to expose yourself to different points of view to do that job. Mm-hmm. And I think that generally speaking, the more like, like, I think that the reason why conservatism thrives in like smaller communities is because it's easier to believe in those things if everyone is kind of roughly coming from like the same uh background and like circumstances as you are and so not even to say that those people don't have empathy but like their empathy extends to people whose experiences they understand because they've been exposed to them and you know when when you're a journalist like you have to you know I, i would say definitely being a journalist made me more liberal because I had, I had to talk to people who I was not, you know, familiar with their circumstances and you kind of, you have to get inside their heads and you have to tell their stories. And when you do that, you're like, oh, I understand why you feel that way. And not even that you always agree with them, but you, you think to yourself, well, that's like a legitimate way to feel, you know, like I understand like where that person is coming from. And yeah, that they're not, you know, it's easy to say like, well, this is what I would do, but that's because you're coming from a different, like your situation is so Mm-hmm. completely different sometimes. Yep. And, and so I think that that's, you know, you're, you're talking about like meeting people. I think that's like a, such a huge thing in the way that like society, American society anyway, I, I guess I can't speak for the rest of the world, but like how American society operates is I, I think that like that's kind of where a lot of that divide comes from in real life is people inside of their, I don't even want to say like inside their bubbles because like that's such like an overused like term, yeah. but it just, it, it's, I think that there's a lot to, to that idea of your, your preconceptions can survive for as long as you don't meet anyone who challenges those things. And it's, it, you know, oddly enough, like yeah. Seven probably, because, because she has basically been living the last few years of her life on like a closed in a closed system on board the yeah. ship where everyone kind of has the same like belief system. It's like this is like her chance to like meet a real person uh, in, in, in her own way. Yeah. So anyways, back, back to Star Trek Voyager. I've really been talking a lot in this episode, sorry. Yeah, this, this one's going to be a, a beast to edit, I'm sorry. No, it, it's, I mean, it's my fault, but uh, this episode really, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even say that I like, loved this episode, but it really inspired a lot of like thought from me. Yeah, it's true. It definitely did that, which I think was the intention. 
Well, and I think we're about to get into why I wouldn't say I loved this episode because I think we're we're getting close to the end here, right? Yeah. So then, then I guess we, I guess if we want to get get to this worth. So, so then, kind of as all this is going on with with Seven of Nine and and Ico, um, meanwhile, Joel Egg had given Neelix a a letter and asked him to send it to to his brother back home and like let him know what's going on and it turns out that that was actually a uh was it was it a tracker or uh, uh it was it was just that the his brother tracked the the where the message came like from came it wasn't like a, yeah. it wasn't like a tracker itself but he just traced the message back to the yeah. to voyager so the ship gets gets attacked by uh by aliens that are then trying to sort of break loose all of the prisoners and um and they're about to succeed and they're kind of on their way out and then Joel Egg is has a uh you know ha- essentially has the the warden Yedek at his mercy and is like about to kill him and Iko comes up and says no let me be the one to kill him Iko the the only prisoner who stayed in his cell during this like prison break right then he just kind of like wanders out and comes uh comes and says like no you should let me like let me kill Yedek because of all the terrible things he's done to me and instead of instead of doing that he actually gives Yedek the phaser, lets Yedek shoot Joel Egg and the other prisoners. Um, and then they, they all get recaptured and uh, sort of taken off to be executed like they were supposed to. And you find out that Iko's, you know, his appeal to have his sentence changed was denied and he is going to be executed and he kind of has this emotional goodbye with Seven of Nine. And and she doesn't feel like it's... You kind of realize at this point it's kind of been a stealth Seven of Nine episode because, like, you're kind of right. like, oh, she's... One of the reasons she's taking this so personally is because she killed hundreds, if not thousands, of people during her 20 years as a Borg, and he killed one person, and she's like, how is this fair that, like, this is happening to him and yeah. not to me? And Janeway kind of says, I mean, you lost 20 years of your life... You know, obviously it wasn't you who was doing it, but also you lost 20 years of your life. Like, you can't pretend like you haven't, like, suffered because of, like, all this stuff that's happened. Um, which I thought was kind yeah. of a, a good way to end yeah. the episode. So I know we're running long, but this this is, this is part of the episode really kind of frustrated me. <laughs> yeah, I, it was very much a, like, uh, it was a little bit of a, a hard swerve, and it was just kind of one of these, like, wait, what, wait, that that's just what happened moments well it wasn't Um, even that to me it was like they were kind of like it seemed like the writers were like well we have to have like some kind of a swerve and so like this is what the swerve will be and i feel like it kind of undercut their message a little bit because the message to the beginning of the episode seems to be like hey the criminal justice system is kind of screwed up and it doesn't really matter that much like what the people who are in it did Right. It's it's mostly just like the idea of we need to be humane to each other is kind of like it seems like what the thesis of the. Yeah. Like like even if you know, even if like whether or not this guy did committed a crime, he's still he's still a person. He grew up yeah. laying on the grass and looking at stars and telling stories. And like he's still yeah, he's still a person and still should be treated like a, a person. They kind of like bring into it. Well, maybe he did this because he did, he did he did the he did the crime, but he did it because he couldn't help it. Like there was like he had a mental problem, and and now that he has the yeah, he mental problem, control. like now now he doesn't have that anymore. Now he feels really sad about it, and like and then on the flip side, they have Joleg, who is like, oh, you think he's really innocent, and he you know it's he's like clearly like a, a space black person who you know is talking about like. 
like the 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 bad parts of like um you know racial profiling and that kind of a thing and then yeah. at the end it's like oh actually the no it turns out he's actually a yeah a murderer. yeah it turns out the black guy who you're supposed to feel bad for actually is a bad guy and this really terrible white dude it who yeah feels he's, really sorry he, and feel bad for him like and I thought that was like kind of icky but also again it just is like it shouldn't really matter I think yeah. like when it comes to the point they're trying to make which is that like it doesn't really matter what you did and so I felt like it would have been kind of more interesting because he, even you know Joel like, I think one of the last things he says Neelix is he's like oh no I think I probably have the same you know the same problem that Ico had and you should like have the doctor check me out and see um, and you know and it's portrayed as just like him trying to make an excuse or like trying to you know do anything he can to bargain his way into not dying but and they just kind of like write him off and are just like no no you're full of it but there's no reason for them to like they don't know that yeah it, it, and like it also like the last it almost seems to be like well neelix shouldn't trust that black guy right it's i i think it would have been more interesting if they had kind of had the same idea but then like had it so that there was no doubt about this thing that this guy did and and maybe like, yeah instead like, of just being like well he was uh, he was just kind of a bad guy like like i i understand what they're trying to do but like with both of these cases but I, in a in a way like it would have been more interesting if the quote unquote good prisoner stayed the level of like good the whole time but like also he still did kill a guy or like, or, or on the flip side, I think it was really, I think the ring was so ineffective is that they, they flipped both of them. E- either that, either that, or like have it be like, you know, like maybe the, the, the quote unquote bad guy, maybe he was just really bad. And the point would still be like, we have to behave in this way, regardless of like how we feel about the people who are in the criminal justice system. Yeah. That like, if you're really good, if it's really going to be justice, it should be just it shouldn't be right it like yeah all these other things and so i do think the end of the show kind of undercuts like a lot of some of the 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 goodwill it was building up i think as it went on but i i, I mean not a bad episode overall but i just i th- yeah. I kind of found the end of it a little disappointing uh personally yeah i mean it, again it like you said it it definitely made you think and definitely you know at least for us like prompted a lot of discussion which mm-hmm. you know if nothing else i'm sure was kind of their main goal with with tackling an episode or uh, tackling an issue like this on an episode of star trek mm-hmm. yeah i um it, it, and a a i think a worthwhile watch if you're being selective about these but uh yeah. not my favorite but but I, I think a lot of a lot of like good parts even if the the end of it didn't really do anything and and you know there's only one scene with tom paris in it so that's true I mean, you gotta you gotta check that out so <laughs> thank you everybody for listening so, out of contracts we come out uh every other every other sunday um you can follow us on twitter at contracts you can email us at out of contracts at gmail.com you can uh go on our website at out of contracts.podbean.com contracts is spelled c-o-n-t-r-e-k-s uh we're part of the kaleidoscope uh media network uh which is a podcast network that is made up of uh, four shows there's us and there's the aforementioned that's now how science works which is kind of like a, a show that takes a pop culture uh, you know uh entity and looks at it through a scientific lens see if it uh stands up we've got here's johnny which is a horror media podcast and we have wizard studies which is a podcast about harry potter so if any of those things sound interesting to you, you should definitely check them out um so as uh, yes yeah, so, ne- so next time on the show we are doing uh, a very exciting episode for me it is our first ever episode of star trek the animated series yeah um so it is season one episode eight it's called the magics of megas two 
so please check that out and we'll be back in two weeks uh with the next episode yeah see you everybody thanks